This Pot Show is pleased to bring you Whiskey Westerns on Wednesday, direct from Dodge City, Kansas, featuring rich topics on the legends of the Old West. Whiskey to motivate. Westerns to inspire. Get it. Play it. Drink it. Welcome, everyone, to our very first video stream of Whiskey and Westerns on Wednesday, VOD Show. My name is Mike King, and I am the producer and writer of Wild West Podcast. Today, I am with Brad Smalley, a noted passionate Dodge City historian and narrator of Wild West Podcast. During each show, we will talk about one or more of the legends of Dodge City. We will also take a few shots from our selected bottles of whiskey. Brad, welcome. What do you have in store for us this evening? Well, Mike, since we started talking about uh, doing a show on the earliest days of Dodge City, uh, thought we'd do a little uh, tin cup. Tin cup. Tin cup. Of course, uh, comes out of Colorado. But, uh, you know, Coloradoans weren't the only ones drinking out of tin cups back in those days. As we know uh, from from past podcasts and, and chatting, uh, old Mr. George Hoover, when he opened his first bar in Dodge City, he was selling drinks at 25 cents out of a old tin ladle. And tin cup whiskey out of, again, out of Colorado, was inspired by those days, uh, by the, the miners who started drinking their whiskey at a, whatever they had available to them. Generally, a tin cup. And the neat thing about this whiskey is it comes with its own little tin cup. They put it right there on the top to just cover up the cover up the lid and you've got your own your own glass. Very good. Now we tried this in advance. Yes, we did. And it uh, so let's talk a little bit about what we what we experimented with when we first tasted this whiskey. Sure. Um, now we uh, of course we didn't really know what to expect on this whiskey, but it it turned out to be pretty darn good. It's really just a bottle of Friendly. Uh, one of the friendliest whiskeys I've probably ever had. Uh, it is, it's a high, high rye uh, American whiskey. It is, it's come from the same people that make Stranahan's, uh, also out of Colorado. Uh, so it's cut with a little bit of that Stranahan's, uh, with some of that Colorado water. And it's, it's, it's just a bottle full of good. Um, so, so when we tried it in the uh, open container, uh, we, we got some kind of an experience from it. Um, we did in more of the tasting in, in glass. Tasting glass. Upstream, yeah, right. traditional tasting glass that tapered at the top. Uh, it had a very good nose on it. Uh, very strong hints of vanilla, little pear. You get that rye spice. You mentioned the black pepper. Right. The black there was a little black pepper, but then when we put it in our tin cup, when we went to the tin cup, it lost a lot of its character. It did. It, it kind of just contained it, and the, uh, the nose disappeared. It did. It was still friendly. It tasted quite good, but we just didn't get that that experience like we had originally. So, I, I highly recommend if you try the whiskey, and I recommend that you do. Get yourself a, a good whiskey tasting glass, at least something that's tapered at the top. That is, to if really you're get the full drink effect. It straight. If you're going to drink, drink it straight, straight, 
I would recommend that you do it out of an, more of an open glass than you would be uh, like out of a tin cup or maybe even this tin cup. It'd here. make a great cocktail too. Uh, but I'll tell you what, while we're chatting, we might as well pour one. Well, I think that's a good idea. Now you want it in the little one or the big one? Well, I think let's take it out of the tin cup, the Fair small enough. tin cup first, and see. Uh, now, would this have been the size of a tin cup that uh, Hoover would have served it in, or would it have been more like this one? Well, we know that Hoover himself was pouring out of just a, a dipping ladle at, okay. at 25 cents a pop. All right. Well, let's try this out and see what it does for us. I still like that whiskey, but it's got, out of the tin, it's got a lot more of that alcohol burn. It does, yeah. Which, again, it's only 42%. Uh, it got a lot more character out of a nice, a nice glass. Really, nothing but fun. It's a novelty gimmick. I agree. Go for it, but... Uh, if you drink it, I'd drink it out of an open glass. Again, I think that'd be the best way to go. Absolutely. Uh, this same, might serve same goes as, for any whiskey, as a shot glass to go in your open glass. It'd make a hell of a shot glass, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably what I'm going to do with mine. Is you tell the story of 10-cup whiskey. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of light, though, you know? I do think it would be better... At maybe a 45, even a 46 percent, than strictly the 42. I agree. But I'd be curious to see. Of course, we we can lower the proof if we wanted to, but we can't very well jack it up any. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about our topic. So, tin cup goes along with Hoover, and right. Hoover goes along with the starting of Dodge City. That is sort of the traditional origin story for for uh, Dodge City, Hoover's Bar. So 1872, the train's getting ready to come through. Um, Hoover brings the first bar. Well, he got he, a lot of pioneers in the area. He uh, he opened his bar in June, uh, June 17th, uh, if I remember right, of 1872. The railroad tracks hit Dodge City September the 5th. Okay. So then things started really happening. They were popping. Uh, you had, of course, the, the impetus behind Hoover building his bar in the first place is after Fort Dodge had banned alcohol. Overnight, you had a whole lot of soldiers. You had a whole lot of buffalo hunters. You had a whole lot of Santa Fe Trail freighters. And you were fixing to have a whole lot of railroad workers, not to mention a growing town site, and every single one of these folks wanted to do a hell of a lot of drinking. Uh, and That's the one thing that they all had in common. And back in those days, you really couldn't get a true barrel of whiskey, but you had a lot of whiskey ranches around. Several whiskey ranches. Uh, of course, you could ship in. Uh, you know, Hoover went back to places like Kansas City. Things were being brought out from Chicago. Of course, once the railroad came in, Getting that kind of thing was a whole lot easier. Right. It was also more expensive than just pulling something off of a local whiskey ranch, in which case they were absolutely using that Arkansas River water. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's picture this. 1872, it's right out in the middle of the prairie. Uh, there's no establishment out here. In fact... The, the edge of the world. It is the edge of the world, and there's really one adobe building out here, right. uh, Settler's Place, mm -hmm. and uh, other than that, there's just Fort Dodge. 
And now, all of a sudden, it's 1872, railroads coming through, and a boom town's getting ready. Dodge is booming. Uh, it, Dodge City, like many boom towns all over the West, it wasn't ready for itself, if that makes sense. A uh, lot of growing pains, trying to figure itself out. I'm not sure if Dodge has ever figured itself out, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. But you had people coming in from everywhere. It was the epicenter of the buffalo trade, which was one of the biggest industries in the West at the time. Uh, they were feeding everybody, not just the settlers moving west, but they were feeding all the military forts that were out here. They were feeding the freighters. They were feeding people back east even. Uh, not just with the meat, but with hides, moving the leather, uh, using the leather for industrial belts. Uh, pushing the Industrial Revolution back east, uh, bones, bone china. Buffalo was a, a giant, giant industry, and money could be made. So out here, we have primarily buffalo hunters, mm -hmm. and the impact now becomes the uh, uh, the soldiers that are already out here. Right. And But what, what a lot of people don't understand is the cattle trade hasn't started yet. No, no, not for another three years. Not another three years. So... We have a settlement. We have probably what a, a general store, um, maybe a couple of bars out here. No, more uh, than a couple. <laughs> that that seemed to be the the prime. But yeah, that's when everybody you have here has that one thing in common. You need to cater to everybody. So really, when you talk about it, Dodge City was founded on whiskey, quite literally, and that was the trade. Uh, absolutely. In fact, so, when when Dodge City, well, when Ford County was established, the sole reason that Ford County was organized was to legalize their alcohol sales. I, yep, yep. <laughs> so you get what? Uh, the population now grows to 1872, somewhere around 500 people. 500-ish, yeah. Uh, to, and then whoever to, just decides to come into town and have a drink. Mm-hmm. They, got, they were able to get 609 signatures to officially organize Ford County. Most of those were transients. Uh, very few of those people actually lived in Dodge. We know that because a lot of the names that we know were here didn't even sign that petition. And some of the people who signed it were strictly no name. Uh, but it, it worked. The, the railroad even uh, uh, took them to court. <laughs> because they they were accusing the Ford County application of being fraudulent, and it was. Yeah, yeah. But again, it all goes back to alcohol. So, what was law and order like in Dodge City during the early days? And I'm talking about 1872, 1873. What kind of law and order had? I mean, it, it was, wasn't a. It, it was existent it, so. it was completely non-existent. So if somebody got rowdy uh, in one of the saloons, what happened? People were law unto themselves. And over time, over a short period of time, that became a problem. Because, again, you had a whole lot of different kind of people, more so, in fact, than most of those western boomtowns. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this 
is the Japanese America podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mew. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Okay, so let's talk about 1872 for 500 people, uh, law and order. Uh, what steps did the businessmen of the settlement take to prevent violence to protect their property? Well, by the time of the, the first recorded killing that we know about, um, uh, Jack Reynolds, who was killed the day the railroad got here, September 5th, 1872, he was shot six times by a track layer. By that point, there had already been enough killings in Dodge City that they wanted to start doing something. Uh, this is early fall. Uh, they got a hold of a, uh, a feller from Newton, Kansas. Billy Brooks oh, yeah. was his name. He'd been, Billy the, Brooks. He'd been the marshal of Newton. Uh, there was no city proper yet. There was a town committee that were trying to organize but it wasn't incorporated. There was, there was no official legal way to hire any law enforcement. So what they did is they hired a, uh, they hired a bouncer, in fact, uh, and, in, the, in the person of Billy Brooks. And let's talk a little bit about that Billy Brooks character because uh, he was quite a character. He had a certain dress about him. So he would walk around town. What, would he look, what did he look like? What was his... His character, his presence, and well, he looked like a thug, uh, and he he pushed that on himself. He always walked around in the nicest shirt that he could get a hold of, and a couple of big, excuse me, a couple of big Navy Colts strapped to his hip. We know from eyewitness accounts that is how just how he dressed. Uh, he dressed like a bully. They they called him, in fact, Bully Brooks. Bully Brooks. Yep. The idea was that they were hiring somebody that they thought could be tougher than some of the rougher element of, of Dodge City. Well, he had built a reputation for himself, right? He'd been reasonably effective in Newton. Right. But I don't think he was ready for Dodge City. Uh, it was a little bit too much not, for him. Not to his discredit. Nobody right. was ready for Dodge City those first three years. He, he came out, and we have several stories of him uh, doing, doing his thing. He got a hold of, uh, affiliated rather, with the, the vigilantes group that was, was growing in Dodge City. And uh, he, he was involved in several shootings. Uh, one account was that uh, there was a scuffle, and four, four men uh, attacked him for killing someone that they knew, and he was able to take out all four of them. So then his reputation really grew after it's, he was able to gun down four? Four, four men against four. Billy, yeah, supposedly. Uh, yeah, these are all, all stories that passed down. There was the no legends news. Legends. The, the legends of the way, right. Uh, there was no active newspaper early in Dodge. Uh, and some of the early newspapers that we have, we, we've lost so many issues. But So these are all stories. What we do know is that in retaliation for someone that he may have killed, 
Billy finally met somebody that he just wasn't tough enough for. Must have been a buffalo hunter. It was, in fact, a buffalo hunter. Buffalo hunters were tough characters. Uh, his name was Kurt Jordan, mm -hmm. and he was a little bit more than Brooks could handle. <laughs> uh, okay, so Brooks got tangled up with a buffalo hunter. He did, and he just, they, they tangled, they shot it out. Um, Jordan actually, he took a shot at Brooks. The bullet went through through two barrels that he was hiding, that Brooks was hiding behind, and the only thing that saved his life is that bullet hit the inside of the uh, um, the iron hasp around the barrel. Saved his life. Billy took off. He hid inside. He hid under a bed in one of the saloons. <laughs> and the next day, the uh, uh, mutual friends of Brooks and, and Jordan, they got him out on the street together said, this needs to stop. And they went out, shook hands. Uh, Jordan said, what we have to say to each other doesn't need to be said to a crowd. They went in one of the saloons, fairly amiable. We don't know the conversation that took place, but we know that in a matter of days, Brooks left Dodge City. He took off. Now let's talk a little bit about those, those barrels that are sitting out on Front Street. Mm -hmm. There was a purpose for those barrels. Uh, well, there were several different purposes for those barrels. Not uh, just to stop bullets. Right. Uh, they, um, some were just carried water. Uh, already there was a fear of fire in Dodge City. It was hot, dry, dusty. These buildings were made out of wood. Uh, so there were barrels of water situated everywhere, not only on the street, but on the roofs of some of the buildings as well, just in case fire broke out. And you know, a lot of people when they see the old west towns, they get a different picture in the, in the, in the movies mm. about how Dodge City looked. And so, um, but they were really just, in some cases, tents, some cases just uh, adobe uh, walls with some wood to them, but they Most were the just Some of the tents shacks. had a wooden false front. Oh yeah, shacks is very They were totally name. shacks, yeah. And so that was the early Dodge City, but now, okay, so Billy Brooks, Brooks leaves town. Now they don't have anyone. They, they were trying very hard uh, to get something organized. Uh, 1873, Ford County was organized. Uh, they were able to hire, hire a sheriff uh, after one had been appointed in emergency. Uh, things had gotten so far out of hand that Colonel Dodge uh, from out at the fort wound up declaring martial law over the city. He they brought the soldiers out, they surrounded the town, they went in and arrested some of the vigilantes that by this point had become nothing but murderous thugs. And this is interesting because it leads into, and I want to talk a little bit about this, about Tom Sherman. Oh, Tom Sherman. Tom Sherman had a dance hall. He did. And it really was a shack, but it was a dance hall. Dance hall employed and some of the, uh, the earliest whores and dogs. <laughs> uh, and through history, we know that uh, Big Nose Kate took up residence in Tom Sherman's saloon. Kate Elder, Big Nose Kate, was in Dodge City quite some time before Doc Holliday ever got here. Absolutely. But let's talk a little bit about the first time that Tom Sherman gets into it with, because there's some history here because of uh, a, a song that was created later 
uh, about Dodge City. Correct. And a lot of people don't make that tie, mm -hmm. but it really happens out of Do uh, Tom Sermon's saloon. So let's talk a little bit about that night, what happened, and why this song was written. Well, Tom Sherman was one of uh, many of the, the vigilantes uh, he was a, of Dodge he was a City. Member. He was a member of the commission. And uh, being in his, his proprietor of his dance hall, of course, he saw quite a bit of what was going on. Uh, Sherman took exception to one of his patrons. We don't know what caused the scuffle, actually, but what we do know is that Sherman kicked this fellow out in the street, shot him through the door. As Follow he's running out. As he's going, going out, this fella is, is writhing out there. He's shot. He's, he's, he's laying, wounded, on the laying out in the street. Sherman follows him out of the street, looks around, looks up one street and down the other, and says very loudly for all to hear, said, well, I better shoot him again, hadn't I, boys? Put his gun to the man's head, pulls the trigger, aims a little high, and blows his skull cap off, and just the top of his head goes everywhere. All right, so in this scene, there is a young cowboy, mm -hmm. supposedly in town, who becomes a poet. There was a, a cowboy from South Central Kansas by the name of Frank Maynard, uh, who is one of several people who wrote an account of this particular event. Although young Mr. Frank was quite a poet and a lyricist. He wrote a poem that was uh, lyrically based on the old Irish ballad, Bard of Armagh. The words of which started out as I rode out past Tom Sherman's barroom, which over time evolved with a couple of other sources and became the classic cowboy ballad, Streets of Laredo. Streets of Laredo. Streets of Laredo. So really when we're looking at this whole incident of this cowboy dying on the street, but it's really... We don't have cow hands at this time in mm. Dodge City. But he writes this poem about Tom Sherman. He writes a poem uh, eventually set to the music of which the meter that he based it on. You know, at Dodge, during those years, and I think within two years' time, they write about 30 killings because of lack of law and order. Right. And and when you we go back to... Uh, Colonel Dodge, who was in charge of the Fort Dodge at the mm -hmm. time, he became outraged, as you just mentioned earlier, because there was an incident that happened. So tell us a little bit about what happened there and why Colonel Dodge sent the troops in. Well, one of his close personal friends and a former employee of his, uh, William Taylor, now, William Taylor was a... He was a cook. He cook. was a cook. He, had, he was also a black man. He was. Yes, he was. Um, he was his personal cook. He was a personal cook uh, to Colonel Dodge, had moved into Dodge City and started taking up business on his own. Uh, whether or not he was still employed by Colonel Dodge, I, we're not really very sure, but they did maintain quite a friendship. And uh, Taylor got sideways with a couple of the vigilantes. Uh, it may have been because of the color of his skin. It's certainly not the first time that happened. We don't know, in fact, if that was the, the primary purpose, but they, they killed him rather brutally. Well, what, they first shot his mule. 
They did shoot his mule. Of course, Taylor took exception to yeah, that. He did. He didn't like the fact that somebody shot his mule. But and uh, more than likely, how how dare he talk back right. to them? And and well, yeah, we know those those type of stories. Taylor's dead. The the gentleman who killed him were thought that they could get away scot free, being that they were part of the the vigilante mob at this point, well, not knowing the ties that he had with. Colonel Dodge. But this just wasn't a killing in the street. It was, we shoot you, mm -hmm. then we take you to the doctor, and then we start talking about it, mm -hmm. and we then decide, well, we didn't do the job justice, so we go into the doctor's office, we drag him out in the street, and we finish it off. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the vigilantes, yeah. the law and order of Dodge City at the time. It, it was pretty brutal. So I could imagine how D Colonel Dodge was feeling about this. He took exception, and, uh, personal exception. Of course, already knowing full well what was going on in town, but as a military man, he didn't have any thor authority over right. the civilian population, which... Dodge City was specifically going back all the way to Hoover Saloon, was built outside Five. the military reservation. Five miles. Five, which was five miles, miles from the fort itself. Right. So uh, Colonel Dodge, what he did is he wired the uh, governor of Kansas and asked permission to go in and arrest the guilty parties. Uh, he received immediate confirmation, do what you need to do, the the soldiers surrounded the town. They went in and arrested uh, one of the one of the parties involved. Uh, one of the what they call the vigilantes. One of the vigilantes uh, the that was involved in the shooting in, right? the, in the killing of Taylor. Uh, the other one hid uh, inside one of the ice boxes of a of uh, it was Peacock's uh, AJ Peacock's saloon and wound up escaping. Uh, several years later, actually, by the time Bat Masterson became county sheriff in 1879, he was still listed as a fugitive with a price on his head. So they wanted him bad. Uh, never got him. Uh, they went in. Uh, that was uh, the 4th of October, I believe, and the, the 5th. 4th and 5th. 4th and 5th. The very next day, he, Colonel Dodge came back again and set the soldiers into Dodge City and arrested five more of the vigilantes, one of whom was Tom Sherman, one of the most notorious. Right. right. Well, very good story, Brad. And now, uh, so here we now have, it's, I think it's October 5th, uh, and the governor, I don't think he's very happy with Dodge City. He's infuriated. Uh, so there's some political background here which establishes what? The first sheriff? The first sheriff, yes. Uh, in fact, part of that, uh, the telegram that Colonel Dodge sent to the governor was, Ford County is, is established, but they haven't had elections yet. Said, I'm the only man right now who can do something until they get this figured out. So they did, and that day, the, on the 5th, after Colonel Dodge had made his arrest, that same day, the Ford County 
council had gotten together and established uh, the first officers. They hadn't actually held elections yet, but they, they appointed certain people to fill all, the, all of your usual county offices. And then the following month they had an actual elections, and with, with one exception, all of the same people maintained those offices. Uh, Charlie Bassett was the very first four-county sheriff, which he maintained until 1879 when he was replaced by Bat Masterson. And, and that was primarily due that you could only hold that office for so many years. Right. And that's something we'll talk about later. But what I'd like to do, uh, fill your tin cup. Don't mind if I do. And we'll make a toast to law and order in Dodge City. I'll top you off. You're good. I'm good. So here we go with a little tin cup and to law and order the rule in Dodge of law. City. Long may it live. And to Mr. Bassett. And to Charlie Bassett. Well, I think that's it for our show tonight. Remember, you can check out all of our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, AnyPod, Amazon, or at wildwestpodcast.buzzsprout.com. We would like to conclude our show by reminding our listeners to check out our up-and-coming digital bookstore by visiting boothillproductions.com and selecting publications. We would also like to thank our sponsor, boothillproductions.com, and if you would like to sponsor our show, just send us an email at wildwestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribute, non-commercial license. You can learn more about the legends of Dodge City at worldfamousgunfighters.weebly.com or by visiting our new Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash wildwestpodcast. Remember to always drink responsibly. Okay, that's it. Okay.